Welcome back to Build Season 8. I'm your host, Ariel, and I'm excited to have Fareed Mosavat from Slack with us today. Fareed, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast again. We are excited to have you again as our first repeat. All right. <laughs> but you want to kick us off uh, for folks who didn't hear your first episode. You want to give a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, great. So um, my name is Farid Mosavat, as Ariel mentioned, and I am a product lead, director of product here at Slack and have been for the last three, almost three and a half years. Uh, I started out working on our growth team, uh, working on activation and new user experience and onboarding. I then built a founded and built a team focused on our self-service monetization. I ran our self-service business for a couple of years and then uh, built a broader team focused on our uh, customer lifecycle from end to end. Uh, I've worked on expansion, monetization, user growth, new user experience, a bunch of different things across our full self-service pipeline and product-led growth initiatives. Before that, I actually worked in consumer businesses only. So I uh, have a bunch of years of experience on going from film to games to marketplaces. This is my first B2B company. Very cool. And I guess you mentioned a number of things that you've worked on within Slack, you know, under sort of the product umbrella. How do you guys actually divide up your product team today? Yeah, so we're broken up into, we're a pretty big team at this point, hundreds of people on our product design and engineering team, and also have a pretty substantial investment in R&D compared to, I think, some of our peer companies. And so we have a pretty big team for where we're at, and it's broken up into a number of product areas. The first one is what we call foundations. And foundations is really what you think of when you use Slack, right? Sending a message, receiving a message, notifications, channels, the core product and user experience of Slack for most people who are using it on a day-to-day basis. So think things like how files interact, how messages render, those kinds of things. Our next big area is called enterprise. Enterprise is focused on solving the problems that either affect or block adoption for the world's largest companies from using Slack. This is things like identity, security, and compliance, but also the infrastructure we need to support hundreds of thousands of users, as well as some of the features that are specific to larger companies, things that larger companies need to use Slack effectively. Our team is called Expansion. Expansion is focused on really helping people use Slack effectively through their lifecycle and also help our smallest customers be successful. So like I described earlier, this is things like news or experience, onboarding, engagement, invites, monetization, paid conversion for our smaller businesses, those kinds of things, uh, as well as some of the administrative and backend things that help those things be successful. And then our last product group is called Platform. And Platform is responsible not only for the developer experience of integrating with Slack, but also the end user experience of how you interact with third-party tools inside of Slack as an end user. So think things like how apps appear, commands, integrations, the bots, those kinds of things, as well as the administrative and backend experience and the developer experience of our platform. Hmm. So those are our four core product areas, and each of those are broken up into lots of different pieces as well. Yeah. And did you guys always do it by sort of product area, if you will, given that, you know, platform is pretty separate from foundations, from uh, some of the onboarding flows and things that you're working on, or has it changed in structure since you've been there? Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of structural changes back and forth, but I would say the overall separation of those concerns has been roughly the same. We have tons of organizational changes and we're always evolving. And honestly, we've grown so much since I first got here that the details are different, but I think foundationally, we're roughly the same. The names change sometimes. We've called Foundations Core Product. 
It, we used to have search be its own thing because it was a brand new team versus embedded. The paid monetization was off on its own for a while versus being part of the broader growth or lifecycle organization. There are dynamics that change, but I think foundationally, we've really had these four core pillars, I would call them, or core product areas for the whole time that I've been here. Mm -hmm. Early on, of course, there was a single product team or lots of little product teams, each just working on what the highest priority thing is. But I think that as an organization scales, you start to realize that there are certain areas that just need always on constant attention. And that's when we started to build the product areas. But that was before I joined, probably around 2015 when we started to solidify that. Yeah, that makes sense. And how big was your product team when that happened? Do you know? Probably still single digit number of product managers. So, you know, under 10 total like core teams. It's hard for me to remember because I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I'm just curious for folks listening who are a little bit earlier in the life cycle as they think about, you know, the shift over time, you know, when folks start to hit those limitations. Yeah, I think when you're really early, I've worked at a bunch of different companies at different stages. And I think there's a couple of different like, core stages that team structures go through. The first is just when you're super early, it's just there are people and they're building things and you have a single list of priorities, right? As a company, the CEO or the product founder or whoever it is can say, here's the list of stuff we need to do. Whoever's available, do the thing that's top of the list, right? You really operate like one product team. Over time, you start to realize that there are different things you need to work on in parallel and that it's hard to do, you know, a hard force rank, stack rank of things. And I think there are a couple of different ways you can organize, but I find that still when you're early, the best teams tend to keep teams together, like groups of people together so that they learn to work together and can be super effective, but maybe their priorities change from quarter to quarter. So for instance, you might have a team that's working on onboarding for one month, but is working on a new product experience the next month because your overall priorities are changing, but you want to keep team structures the same. I think the next phase is when you really get to what I call the sort of zone defense era, where you really need to have teams owning systems from end to end, from top to bottom. And you have areas of concern that are constant over time as, you've, as your team has grown. As you start to build and develop or hire leaders into the organization, you want to have them have clear uh, priorities in their area. And that's where I think the phase three sort of happens. And often you'll have new teams spin up and then roll into those or new teams turn into new pillars over time. So I think it's hard to say when those things happen. I think it's really a nature of the maturity of your product and how much, you know, how quickly you're moving than it is the size of the team. And have you found that, you know, with these pillars, you're still able to prioritize the most important things for the business overall? Or do you find that there's a push and pull between, you know, making sure there's not too much overlap between teams so folks have, you know, teams have ownership over what they're working on, but also as a business, you can slot in the highest priority thing versus building a huge backlog for one team? Yeah, I think the way that we've had to learn to do that over time as our company, especially as we've gotten bigger. I think there's a moment in time where what happens when you split up into these teams, there is always a moment for any team at any, for any company that ends up that you find that you're doing lots of different things, but there you may, and each team is optimizing locally, but you may not have a good structure for, is the company moving in the right direction? Yeah. If that makes sense. And our solution to that, there are lots of different ones, but our solution to that has been to use a uh, top-down OKR process that layers on top of like each team's individual uh, prioritization. So on a yearly basis, we have core strategic priorities for the company. Those things tend to be the kinds of things I think it works best, not when we try to have that be a holistic view of everything we're working on, but rather the things that you would only do 
if you can coordinate across teams. The things that require everybody to sort of unify around and the things that nobody would necessarily prioritize on their own. That sort of takes executive level or CEO level involvement to push through. So for us, that has been things like some years, it's things like international expansion that requires sales, marketing, product, all the coordinate around launching new countries, right? Uh, big strategic priorities like that. In other years, it's been things like shared channels, which is a big, you know, big initiative that requires a lot of effort and is a strategic thing. And we want to make sure it lines up with our storytelling around our user conference and those kinds of things. Uh, and other times it's growth or high level growth targets that sort of are metric movers, those kinds of things that sort of, I would say that bucket of things is often like, where do we need the business to be by the end of the year? So we tend to set, we have found that it works best when we set a small number of cross-cutting high-level strategic priorities at the year, and then each team's expected to first do those, and then all the other things that are important. Hmm. The idea, you don't only work on those. I think we're past that point as a company. I think you can do that early on, where you're hyper-focused on only a few priorities. Well, we do those, but we also know that each team has their own priorities, and those tend to be part of those pillar OKRs or sub-team OKRs. So it's sort of like, it's OKRs all the way down, but uh, the expectation is that you're supporting the company level ones first with both resourcing, staffing, prioritization, end to end. And then we tend to have like cross company groups that, you know, sort of loose groupings of people working on those things and making sure we're not running in a hundred directions. Got it. So how do you, once those OKRs get from like high level company OKRs down to teams, like how does that waterfall play out? Who owns building the team's goals, you know, to align to the company goals? Yeah, sort of connecting the dots between that top sound process and a bottoms up innovation, right? So we like to have goals, always have like a directly responsible individual. So somebody who's responsible for sort of coordinating the overall strategy and the work putting together the plan and wrangling all the teams that need to work on stuff. And then each team is, in some respects, the experts of their own domain, right? They know what they're, they are probably better equipped to say, hey, let's make sure we work on X or Y and bring that up. So we tend to do sort of, it starts with at the company level, we have like these high level goals, small working groups putting together a set of strategies that tends to bring people from across the company together. Then each team is responsible. We do it quarterly for developing a quarterly plan on their own that informs that as well as a 12 month, like a 12 to 18 month roadmap. So what are we planning on doing in the future with different levels of uncertainty? This is at the product level. I can't speak to some of the other teams. And then, you know, this is the hard part. The hard part is reconciliation, right? And I think in a lot of ways, that is the job of our leadership, uh, both for people like myself at the director level to make sure all the pieces are fitting together in, on our team, but also at the executive level to make sure that all the plans add up to the uh, to the outcome and success we're really looking for. But it's really a combination of our executive sponsors, the executives across to look across the company, as well as those DRIs, those individually responsible people, the owner of that goal, to make sure that the sum of the parts adds up. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about measuring individual product teams, call it quarterly or annually, obviously there's, you know, measuring them against their contributions towards the company-wide OKRs. How else do you guys goal product teams, if at all, to measure their success? I think it varies widely depending on the team. And I, I think that especially for Slack or a company that has both 
a sort of bottoms up product led growth engine alongside a more traditional alongside a more sales driven top down enterprise approach at the same time we're trying to build both businesses at the same time i think it would be naive to assume like it's naive to assume that we can choose one way to measure everything right so i think we try to have our goals and the way we measure success be aligned with the strategies we're trying to achieve so on our side on the growth and expansion side a lot of our, we, we're super metrics driven. We use experimentation on a daily basis. It's, it's, it looks a lot like the consumer companies I've worked at. North Star metrics, we're, you know, we have components that build up to those. We use our data science team to help us understand what the impact of different features are. And we're trying to move towards measurable results. On other teams that might be building new strategic initiatives, right? Like building out new things. Did we ship the roadmap at, when we told our customers we would? Are we nailing the most important top customer requests? Is our number of issues and uh, questions going down? Are we closing our biggest deals? So I think depending, which in my opinion, the best way to do this is to start with the strategy. Uh, start with the initiative that you're trying to do and then ask yourself, how would we measure success against that strategy? Not only trying to connect the dots all the way to ARR or number of paid customers or those North Star metrics, but I think in some ways you do have to measure whether you've achieved the strat, the initiative itself, not just is the initiative successful to move the company level goal. So um, we tend to start with the we start with the big picture. What are we trying to do, and what are we trying to achieve, and then how do we measure that against that? I don't know. Is does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. Do the teams themselves sort of elect what their goals are going to be on that front, given it varies between teams, or does that also come from the executive level? No, I think in general, individual teams are responsible for defining their own goals. I think the people closest to the work understand are the best to measure success. The at the our jobs as leaders is to make sure that those goals are ambitious enough, that they're measuring the right things. And that it all fits together into a cohesive story, but I don't think it's it's my job to tell an individual team exactly how to measure success of the work that they're doing. For sure, totally agree. So I've heard this thing, this idea, becoming more and more popularized around giving product teams quotas, which it sounds like from the way you describe how you guys set goals and not just being focused on sort of one metric around ARR, but sort of taking a you know, a sort of specialized lens or personalized lens, depending on the goals of the team, what the team is trying to achieve, maybe zooming out, like, what is your thought on that? Are there situations in which you think it makes sense for product teams to have ARR quotas? I think that's pretty tough. There are certainly teams where you could imagine assigning revenue goals or quotas to individual product features or individual product teams. But I think there's a couple of places where it falls short. On the growth side, and I think it's pretty easy for us to measure, like, what is the overall paid conversion of our free team base? And is it increasing or is it lowering? Do we have a target? You know, we have segments that are pure self-serve. And I think there are ways in which we can set targets and quotas around the bulk of the work. But I do think that there's a precision versus accuracy trade-off when you try to get down to individual initiatives and setting quotas against them. And also, I think it you have to make sure that you're not overestimating both incrementality, meaning can you really assign, can an enterprise purchase really be assigned to a single feature or is it the overall product experience? I think it's kind of, you know, I think you can get into messiness there. And I think second is just the remembering that a lot of things don't succeed, especially as we get into the more, you know, experimental growth side of the equation. 
we don't actually know what our success rate is going to be on certain things. So I think quotas can be a little tricky. I think it's important to set overall targets, like what, how ambitious are we trying to be and what do we want this whole set of work to do? But I think when you try to build a roadmap out of a series of revenue targets, I think you end up focused on short-term stuff. I think you end up focused on high probability of success things versus very ambitious things that maybe have high variability of outcomes and things you know you can get done in a short amount of time. So I do think in, if you want to build a portfolio, I think it, I'm a little skeptical of like really strict product quotas. Let's look at shared channels, for instance. Shared channels is a huge initiative, allows companies to connect to each other and build channels that cross organizational boundaries. This has huge strategic impact for Slack in the long run. It's something that customers really want. It's really important to the long-term vision of what we're trying to do and building network effects around that to both our story and to our customers. But it's really hard to connect the dots between that and near-term revenue. And I would hate to live in a world where we wouldn't take bets like that because we couldn't assign a line item to it. For sure. And even on the enterprise side, like buyers buy for lots of reasons. They don't buy just because of one feature. And we sell a single product, right? We, at the end of the day, we're selling a single product to our customers. We're not sell. I think maybe if you had a lot of add-ons or you had a lot of different products used, there are different ways to do this, but we ultimately are selling a single product. Yeah, it could certainly misline incentives. That makes a lot of sense. It's a fair point of view. Mm -hmm. What about like variable comping the product team based on ARR targets as a company? So it's less about attribution to a single feature. You know, there is room to sort of invest in long-term initiatives if you believe that they'll pay out in the long run, assuming, you know, you see a future with the company. What are your thoughts on that? I think the way startups compensate their employees is with equity. <laughs> I think equity is the best sign that uh, you're growing the value of the company in the long run. I've never seen it work. I have worked at companies that have very local performance-based bonus targets and those kinds of things. And again, I think it incentivizes value extraction over value creation, because at the end of the day, it's always easier to do that. I think you could design a perfect, there might be a way to design a perfect system, but in my experience, I haven't seen it. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that I, I haven't I haven't ever seen it really work. I think, and also like, you know, we want to reward people based not only on their impact, but also their behaviors, how they fit in the company, their culture. And I think that's a, that's a harder equation to uh, put together than just a single number. Totally fair. That said, we do have company level goals. Like at the end of the day, we have a company level goal and ways that we somewhat compensate variably based on whether the company as a whole achieves it. But I do think that you can build weirdly internally competitive dynamics if you cut that up into smaller pieces. I think we want to move as a single ship. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you were talking a little bit earlier about the two different go-to-market motions you guys have, both the sort of bottom-up, freemium, you know, end-user-focused go-to-market motion. And then there's also the sales-led go-to-market motion, I assume, on the enterprise side, though, you know, I'll let you correct me if that's wrong. I guess, how do you guys think about you know, trading off product priorities uh, between those two stakeholders? Is that just, you know, one lands in one team and the other lands in another or are those coming head to head? Yeah, I think that a big part of how we've organized those teams has helped us avoid some of the bigger prioritization trade-offs. This is why I think it is at the end of the day, very, very difficult to have a single stack rank for a company. You can have high level initiatives and things that are important, but at the end of the day, we need both. We need end users to be happy, to use Slack to adopt it, 
to advocate for its usage inside of organizations, for it to grow virally inside of those, and for our like buyer, administrator, and other personas to be comfortable deploying Slack, happy deploying Slack, and advocates as well, right? We have to do both. And that comes out in some of our org design, right? We have an enterprise and administration team that's solely focused, you know, solving the problems of administrators, especially in the largest companies in the world. But we also have an expansion team focused on helping people get started and adopt Slack. But everyone is an enterprise team. Everyone is a self-service team, if that makes sense. Meaning all of our teams have to be thinking about both customer types, both the people at the smallest companies in the world who are using it maybe at a dairy farm to help manage their logistics, as well as at the largest, you know, some of the biggest Fortune 500 enterprises. So while there, but we tend to not have that many hard trade-offs that are actually experiential trade-offs. A lot of the trade-offs are about prioritization. And I think that org design is a great way to solve a lot of those problems. Yeah, it's something we see a lot of folks struggle with. So it's an interesting way of going about it, which all comes back to how you divide your product team. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I do think there are occasionally trade-offs. And I think these are some of the hardest problems we deal with. There are things especially around administration that end users would like to do on their own, but administrators would like to control. These are tough trade-offs. And I think you have to think about each case individually. There are some stuff we've been working on recently around how users get invited. I think we've, we have been able to design smart solutions, especially around things like, I would say like, we want end users to be able to take actions, but allow administrators to approve them versus putting certain controls only in the hands of administrators. At least that's an approach we've taken on some features that has been really effective and a good way to balance those concerns. We need administrators to be comfortable. If it's just the wild west and users are doing whatever they want, sharing data, moving stuff around, Slack isn't going to be successful. But in the same way, if end users can't adopt the product easily and uh, get started really quickly, we're also not going to be successful. So it's all parts of the same equation. And how do you deal with, I guess, one thing that I know a lot of folks uh, who we speak with have struggled through is specifically the trade-off of a simple, easy-to-use product for end users, and then in a sales motion, having these sort of checkbox features, if you will. So particularly when stacked up against a competitor, perhaps this is sort of a something that falls out of the go-to-market motion and, and who's able to, you know, sort of uh, win on that end. But it comes down to, hey, it's really important to us that you have XYZ, even if this is something that you're not going to end up using in the long run, and therefore it's just going to clutter the product. How do you guys deal with that on the prioritization front where that's sort of a sales versus end user question? Well, I think we're really lucky in that Slack is adopted because people want it and because people are already using it inside of those organizations. For most of our customers, we see pockets of usage inside of the organization. We build what we, you know, we have people we call our champions, the people who really advocate for Slack and are driving adoption of it inside of those organizations. And they're the ones who are helping us sell it almost internally, right? So I think we've, Our philosophy is we don't build, we try not to build checkboxes that are going to hurt end user experience. I think at the end of the day, we're going to win in our mark. We have decided strategically that we win because people love using Slack and they love, uh, they want to adopt it, not because we're going to checkbox more features for people. That said, on the security side, on the compliance side, 
on the administrative side? Is it possible to administer Slack across broad parts of the organization? Those are things that we spend time and energy on and spend a lot of our focus on, but we are not just throwing stuff in just to close deals. I think we take a we take a more end user focused approach to product development. That makes total sense. Awesome. Well, Fareed, I could ask you questions for much more time, but this has been super helpful and I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insight. It's really interesting, at least to I me. I love talking about product. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or really wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce daily content on our blog, and you can also follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.